Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. and I'm back home in New York and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2016 and we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 94 in the first paragraph beginning where it says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. We will be sharing on the second paragraph on page 94 to get started this morning. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Lois M, the 12 traditions, Lisa B, and our readers of the text will be Kelly S, Rebecca F, and Carolyn SH. The reference number for Wednesday, August 24th, is 9024. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois M. to read the 12 steps. Lois? Yes, good morning. Thank you, Sally. Uh, this is Lois M., recovered in Massachusetts. Um, grateful to be of service today. Uh, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people as, whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory of ourselves, and when we, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to, to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois M. And I will now ask Lisa B. to read for us the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never to be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. We ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the AA big book on page 94 in the first paragraph beginning where it says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. We'll be reading two paragraphs ending with 
if he shows interest, lend him a copy of this book. We'll be only sharing on the second and the final paragraphs on this page, page 94. And I will now ask Kelly S. to begin reading. Kelly? Hey, Sally. Thank you so much for your service. Can you hear me? I sure can. Great. This is Kelly S. recovered in Oklahoma. Good morning, guys. Okay. Outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you straightened out your past, and why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it plain he is under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. If if your talk has been saying, quiet and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. Perhaps maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussions with other people. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. All right, let me set my timer. Three minutes goes fast. Okay, um, I'm going to take just a little different twist on this because I'm I'm really kind of speaking, uh, being selfish and self-extreme to myself, self-centered to myself, um, kind of about my own story and um, what you guys did to help me because I've been around this program for 30-something years and have 17 months now of, of abstinence and being recovered. And so I spent many years giving you reasons why I didn't need to follow the program. In fact, didn't really believe there were clear-cut directions like you guys said, even though I'd read the big book numerous times. So um, didn't read it the way it was meant to be read. So, you know, I rebelled at the thought of a drastic house cleaning. Um, uh, and I did all these things that, you know, these newcomers would do. And so, and then I hear them now. And so, you know, I hear people when I'm sharing my story or people calling me saying, well, I don't know if I need to do that. I don't know if, you know, um, and, you know, we're always looking for reasons that we, we don't have to do that. But what I found for me was um, my disease, of course, took me to my knees. And I became desperate to do anything this program talks about it, you know, that we need to do. And so, you know, all I can do now is share my experience, strength, and hope. And so I tell, I tell the newcomer or the um, still-suffering person in these rooms, the people like me who just kept coming back, and, and not really getting what the program was telling me to do. So all I do is now tell them how, you know, I started the beginning of this book and I read through here and there really are clear cut directions in here. And if I follow the instructions and then I call you guys for support, then this program works. And then, you know, I just share about the desperate nature of my disease and they, they hear, you know, they hear my stories, they hear my recovery and I started hearing that in you guys first is what actually happened for me. I heard people on this on this phone line sharing 
you know, to the depths of my disease because my terminal uniqueness was, well, yeah, but I've been around 30-something years. You guys aren't near as bad as me, you know, and I didn't understand that I wasn't working it the way it was supposed to be worked. And, you know, so all I, all I can do is share, you know, how bad I was, what it was like, and then what I finally, finally did 17 months ago, which was what the big book said, which is what Bill W. and Dr. Bob said in 1939, like, why this program is still successful. So, you know, and then when I, when I give them the book, which is what happened for me, and started from the very beginning and read it paragraph by paragraph, you know, it talks about, and there's a solution on page 29, it talks about there's clear-cut directions that are showing how we recovered. And there's that word that I thought was sacrilegious when I heard you guys say it. Um, and that these people, and there's stories in here. And then it says a little further down, our hope is that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need will see these pages. And we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too, and I must have this thing. And I finally heard that in these rooms. I finally heard it on this meeting, and I listened to this meeting for a year before I picked up the book and did what the book said. So the meeting alone and the fellowship alone, it gave me support. It gave me connection, but it didn't, it didn't get me to the place of a, a recovered state of mind and body. It's in the book. So with that, I pass, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Sally. Thank you, Kelly. Great job. Who else would like to share on this bottom paragraph on page 94? Your candidate may give you reasons. Starting Kristen, there. Kristen, Kim Jay. Carolyn, who? SH? Okay, no. I got Kim G, Amy G, Carolyn SH. Melissa G. Melissa R. I heard Larry. I heard Nessa. Hold on Kathy a second. K. Hold on a second. I heard Kathy K. I've got to get Reba's name down here. Hold on a second. Reva, Kathy K. Who else was that? Shannon F. Shannon S. Or is that F? F as in fun. Okay, Shannon F. Okay, I've got Kim G, Amy G, Carolyn S.H., Melissa, Larry, Reba P. Oh, this pen is terrible. Kathy K., Shannon F. Was there someone else? Tina S. S. Tina S. Who else? Tapora S. Yeah, Nessa R. Nessa R. Did I hear Sephora? Yeah, Sephora S, yeah. Sephora S. All right, I'm putting myself on the end of this list. I'd love to say something this morning. All right, let's get started. That's quite a list. Kim G. And we'll have Amy G next. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. Um, tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made progress had you not taken action. You know, love and tolerance is our code, but I have to tell you, I have to differentiate between love and tolerance of people and love and tolerance of the disease. Because I'm not being loving and tolerant if I am allowing, you know, bullshit in the room. I'm sorry, I mean curse stuff being said in the room or letting someone destroy themselves. So I have to not contradict them, but I have to be really um, clear about what my truth is, and I'm not going to be apologetic about what my truth is. And I think of um, the speaker that I heard, and it really hit me. 
he was talking about this fact that his mother was in, in had cancer and she had chemo going through chemotherapy. And he read an article in the paper about this pharmacist that was, um, I don't know if he was arrested, but he was caught because he was taking chemotherapy drugs and he was watering them down. And he was so angry because he goes, this guy needs to be prosecuted. He's killing people by watering down these chemo drugs. And it was so personal to him because his mom had cancer. But then he said he thought about it the next time he went to a meeting. And he said, what am I doing in a meeting? I'm hearing people water down this message. I know it's killing people. And yet my fear is I'm not going to say anything. So we don't attack anyone, but I need to tell my truth. You know, I need to tell my truth that, that there's also, unfortunately, there's meetings and there's groups of OA that don't believe in the allergy, that are telling people, don't worry about abstinence. Just keep eating and God will help you to eat moderately. I've had people I work with who, who, who go to these groups and gain 100 pounds in six months. And if someone calls me and they're confused, they're say, well, I'm listening to a vision for you or any healthy OA meeting, but I'm also hearing something on this other meeting about the fact that I don't need to be abstinent, that the, food, that the, the, the steps will get me abstinent. And I have to really ask God into that and say, you know what, that's not what the big book is telling me, that's not what my experience is telling me, and I ask you to check your experience. When you work the steps drunk, did it work for you? The people that are telling you that, are they still morbidly obese? Are they able to maintain abstinence? I mean, I've heard people say in these groups, even if they're eating and they finish the steps, if you sponsor, you will get abstinent. So ask questions. Is the person even abstinent that's telling you this? Because we have to be real clear about this idea that, that we are saving lives here. So I'm not going to contradict and anyone can do what they want, but I also have to be really grounded in the truth. Because if I'm not grounded in the truth, I'm not being loving and tolerant of people. I'm killing people. But I'm not willing to water down the chemotherapy just to make somebody comfortable. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. Amy G., you're up. And Carolyn S.H., you'll be next. Good morning, Sally. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland, currently in Rehoboth. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great, Amy. Take it away. Oh. Great, Sally. Thanks so much for your service. Uh, great start to the meeting. Um, your candidate may give reasons why I need not follow all of the program. Well, if we go to the chapter, How It Works, that we read a while back, it says, you know, at some of these steps we've offed, we thought we could find an easier, softer way. You know, half measures avail us nothing, and we stand at the turning point. And, you know, this chapter is about working with others and sponsorship. Saying in the rooms is that you know this disease is full of denial, delusion, and defiance, and it's when we're dying, desperate, and doomed that we become willing to work this program. I, I this whole thing about balking and rebelling to me, I think that balking and saying you know I'm uncomfortable with doing these things, but I want to because I know that I'm desperate. And then there's another thing by saying rebelling, meaning that I don't want to do this and I'm not going to work those things. You know, my job as a sponsor is to differentiate between balking and rebelling. And frankly, if I have someone that is saying they won't do this, then we've got a problem because maybe the disease needs to do more convincing. And as hard as that is, sometimes as a sponsor, I need to differentiate and I need to let them go. And I need to let the disease do the convincing because that's the disease's job. That's not my job is to convince someone to work this program. But like Tim says, I'm not going to water down what it is that this program and these instructions are in this big book. 
And when I take on a new sponsee, I give them in the beginning exactly what it is that this program offers. And I tell them what I will do and how I will sponsor them. And I say, you know, come on back and think about it and let me know if you're going to work this program in its totality. If you're uncomfortable with something and something may not make you feel uncomfortable, as long as you're still willing and open and we can talk about it and you continue to take action, I'll work with you. I'll give you my left arm if I have to. But the bottom line is if there's rebelling and you're not going to do, then let's not waste each other's time if you're going to convince yourself that there's something else to do. Because I did that for the first five years in this program, and that didn't get me anything but dying of this disease. And so I'm not going to contradict, but like Kim said, I am going to speak the truth, and I'm going to say this program has to be worked. And it absolutely has to be worked. All of the steps, this is not a program that we work buffet style. And um, the whole idea of you not made much progress had you not taken action. I will continue to share my experience, my strength, and my hope when I tried to work it that way. And all I can do is carry, all I can do is carry the message. I can't carry the person. And I, I actually had a sponsor, uh, excuse me, I had someone tell me on the phone once, if your way is working so well, why are you here? And as hard as that was to hear, it really was the right thing to say. It was the truth. It was the truth, and I needed to hear those hard facts. I needed to hear that. But I had to be willing, I had to be desperate, I had to be working this program in totality, not in buffet style. Anyways, enough out of me. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for sharing, Amy. And Carolyn S.H. and Melissa, you'll be up next. Carolyn S.H., the clock is beginning. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Carolyn H. from Massachusetts. And... Um, you know, everybody's heard me say so many times, I was in this program for 24 years before I finally got it. And what I got was this line, this phone line. And I got the message loud and clear that if I didn't read this book and follow it verbatim, I'd be dead. I wasn't going to live. So that's when I had to step outside of the box and understand that it wasn't about playing nice. It was about getting serious about my life. There are things in my life today that I either have to choose life or choose death. And when I choose life, there's a lot of work involved in it. I have to work really hard at making it happen. But if I want to choose death, that's the easiest, softer way. I choose the easiest, softer way, I'll be gone in a very short time, not just away from meetings, not just away from being abstinent, not just away from following the steps the way they're laid out in the big book, but I'll be in a box six feet under. And I don't want to live that way today. I don't want to worry about, is this the time that I'm actually going to take my own life, or am I actually going to take the bull by the horns and do what's right? no matter how hard it is to do it. With that, I pass. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Melissa, it's your turn, and Larry, you'll be up next, and then Reba P. Hi. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, you know, gosh, this is something I run into a lot. People who want to pick which aspects of the program they want to do, you know, either – Either it's food-related, they don't really want to commit to a, a food plan, a daily food plan. Um, 
which means they don't want to get sober, you know, and I can't begin the work until their food's sober. Or they just want to do a food plan and they don't want to do the work. And that's just another diet. I mean, you know, and that's um, that's something that I've had to sort of tell people. If you're not willing to do any any work, any house cleaning, um, you could go to Weight Watchers and get the same thing. Um, this is not a food plan. It's not a diet. Um, you know, and I find um, it's so helpful to remind myself that I was once just like that. You know, I wanted help. I wanted to be rescued, but I didn't. But I wanted it on my terms. Um, I wanted to do it my way, uh, and I didn't want to do any work. You know, and it wasn't until I was truly beaten down by my disease that I was finally desperate enough to stop giving directions and start following them. And um, you know, so today when someone tells me why they don't need or want to do some aspect of the program. You know, I try to lovingly tell them, this is what I did. This is what I continue to do. I can only share what I'm doing, what I did. And, you know, I tell them more about my struggles and about my freedom. And that I could never recover without following directions as they were laid out for me. And then, you know, I often wish them well. You know, I suggest they read the doctor's opinion um, and call me after if they want to look at it together. I don't waste my time convincing anymore. You know, I tell people they don't have to continue working with me. They're certainly free to talk to anyone, you know, or no one at all. But if they want my help, I'm clear. This is how I do it. Um, and this is so different from my job as a teacher. You know, I'm a teacher as as my occupation in there. My charge is to teach everyone, and I've got to differentiate my instruction. I have to change it, maybe water it down. I've got to present the material in a million different ways, and this 12-step work is not like that. You know, um, as a teacher, I work harder than my students, but as a sponsor, I will not work harder than my sponsees at their own recovery. Um, I'm able to remember for me, that there came a time when I stopped interviewing sponsors. You know, I reached a point of utter desperation. I just asked for help. I didn't tell how this help needed to come. I was given directions, and I cooperated completely and totally with zero resistance. And this is my the way that my recovery went from desperate and disturbed to hopefully Great. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Larry, it's your turn, and Reba P., you'll be up next, and then Kathy K. Thanks, Sally. Uh, it's Larry K., Recovered uh, Compulsible Reader. You know, what comes to mind here is is persuade. You know, persuade, what does persuade mean? It means, uh, reading the definition, to cause someone to do something through reasoning or argument. And they give some of the, 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 uh, the words uh, co- to coax, convince, induce, coerce, sway, entice, tempt, lure. Okay? It's, the big book is telling me do not contradict such views. You know, it was the very definition. I don't persuade anyone of anything. It was the very definition of self-centeredness that compelled me to want to sponsor myself. In other words, since I was governed by self rather than by a power greater than self, of course I would look for shortcuts, for half measures. I wanted a softer landing. I, wanted, I literally wanted my cake, but I wanted 
what you guys had. I wanted to be thin, and I wanted to be peaceful. I mean, after all, the, the perceptive lens in which I saw the world had me convinced that my intellect and my ability to reason is, is all I needed to get over this deal. And at this stage, again, the big book is reminding me not to contradict such a viewpoint. And why is that? Well, when one human being literally pushes another, there's two primary outcomes. First, I could, through sheer force, I can, I can push you and I can steamroll you. I'll run right over you. I'll make you comply. Well, that doesn't work. The second thing is, as I begin to apply force, you're going to naturally meet my force with your own level of resistance. And that's kind of a stalemate. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, playing tic-tac-toe and, you know, you have a draw, you know, I put my X over here, you put your O over there. We just have a draw. I don't persuade anyone to do anything. You know what I do today? This is, this is what I did. This is my life was a mess. This is what I did. I followed some simple steps. I had to put my heroin down. And I, I was going to feel horribly uncomfortable as a result of that. Doc, Dr. Bob went two and a half years. Go read it. It's right there. The, last, the first story. Two and a half years, he still had cravings for alcohol. I bet he was uncomfortable. The guy went on to, to help something like approximately 5,000 individual people that overcame this disease. You know, he was very uncomfortable. But we have to, we, we have to, I don't persuade, I'm not going to coax you to do anything. You want it, it's here. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. And Reba P., it's your turn, and Kathy K., you'll be up next, and then Shannon. Good morning. This is Reba P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto, presently north of Toronto at a cottage. Um, a couple of things struck me in this paragraph. First of all, uh, reasons to me is just excuses. And I can give lots of excuses why I am too busy, I've got a, a lot of family issues, why I can't do the work. Um, so when I hear excuses, um, I know to be on the lookout for somebody and you know, ask my higher power if they're really, really desperate to do what they need to do. And then I love what it says, all of the program. That's not my program. That's not somebody else's version of program. It's not cherry-picking program. I'll do this step, but I don't have time for that one. It's all of the program, and there's only one program as outlined here in the 12 steps. I also love how it says about taking action, and action is as, as outlined in the big book according to the steps. Um, and, you know, by this time, when we get to this paragraph, what I'm thinking of is I'm at step 12, which um, allows me to get rid of the blocks, access a power greater than myself, so that I can differentiate the truth from the false. And once I'm aware of the truth, and once I know in my gut what the truth is, I need to speak my truth. And that applies to program the truth for me of what has worked and my, I can't even describe it, whatever it is that I'm getting has deepened so much from listening um, to this line and doing what the people on the line who have what I have do to get what they get. Um, and that's my truth. So in program, I can only speak what I know to be true. And you know what? The same thing is out of program. In my work, 
with my children, once I remove blocks constantly on a daily basis and I'm accessing guidance, I need to tell my son what the truth is for me. I need to tell work colleagues what the truth is for me. Um, and I am amazed. Um, it's such a different way of life. And I have a few seconds left. I'm just going to share. We had a canoe accident yesterday, stuck out in the middle of this river. I don't swim. Thank God I had a life jacket. My husband couldn't get the boat out of the wave thing. And there was no solution in sight. And this guy comes out of nowhere with a motorboat and tugs us back to shore. Like that, that is so God. And the fact that I perceive it that way, as opposed to yelling at everybody because I had a bad day, um, is just a result of this program. So I am so grateful. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva. Kathy Kay, you're up. Then Shannon S. And then Tina S. Thank you, Sally, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Boston. You know, um, it has been a journey for me uh, of several years to get clear about my role in another person's recovery, and it has not always been clear uh, when to say, um, I cannot work with you because you're not willing to do X or Y. Um, My experience has been that as long as I stick to what I needed to do in order to recover and what it says in the big book, then it's really up to my sponsee um, to decide uh, how they're going to work the program as it's laid out. Um, I have found that when I when I try to determine for someone whether they're doing it thoroughly or not, the waters get very messy, um, and God prompts me uh, to stay clear about what I'm there to do, which is to teach and guide um, someone through what the big book suggests. Um, So it's taken me a while. There were times when I felt so invested in others' recovery that um, I think I was really um, taking too much responsibility uh, and not sticking to my role as a teacher and a guide. Um, So today I lay it out clearly what my experience has been. I read through the big book every step as far as they're willing to go, and then it's really up to them to choose. And, you know, it's really been an exercise of clarifying my boundaries in the role of sponsor. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. And um, Shannon S., it's your turn, and then Tina S., and then Safar. Hi there, Shannon F. from Duluth, Minnesota. I'm happy to be on the line with you guys here. The biggest line that really stood out to me and was highlighted by God was how important it is that he placed the welfare of other people ahead of his own. And, of course, my reactive thoughts right away were, well, we're dealing with a selfish group of people, especially like our disease is based on selfishness. If I say that, then these people are just going to want to run away or they're going to tune out and blah, 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 blah. And then God planted this vision in my mind 
And I just had this vision of talking to a newcomer. And really, um, like, there's underneath all of our selfishness, as many layers as we topple on each other, on, on top of ourselves, there's, like, that nugget of light deep down within us. Because if we still have a heartbeat, we still have hope. Um, so when talking to another, if somebody were to talk to me and say, you know, the welfare of others, if they might say it in a way where it's like, well, you know, if we actually think of recovery, we can really save our relationships with our significant others, our family, even our animals with our relationships where people are not getting um, harmed continuously from um, continuing to neglect them since we're binging our brains out. Um, Really putting that because I knew in me, even though I was selfish at that point of coming into the rooms of OA, I still had a lot of compassion. I had that desire to want to be a contributing person to society. I wanted to have purpose. I just knew I was stuck with this disease. But if somebody as a recovered member said from their own experience, you know, by working the steps, I was able to not only help myself, but really the the bigger goal was really to be of helpful in society and actually be of purpose in society. Like that would have reached down to that nugget of light deep down underneath all the layers of food that I had toppled onto my soul. Um so as selfish as we are, we still always have that little seed that can be planted of selflessness and how good that feels because that is where God is. And we all want that sense of God and um, compassionate love. So, um, and just the another line was to clarify that they're not under pressure. Because if I were to say like, we got to place the will for your others, you got to go and save others. Um, then of course, like I would have been like, ah, I'm going to run away. So, but just clarify that, you know, we're not attaching strings to them. And that's the beauty of this program is that um, we let God work. Let me tell you back. Okay. With that, I pass. Thank you. Shannon from Duluth, Minnesota. <clears throat> Thank you, Shannon. And Tina S., you're up. And then Safar and then Nessa R. Tina S.? Tina, we cannot hear you. In thanks, the Sally. Yeah. Am I I'm muted now? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, thanks. Sorry about that. Uh, Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic uh, in Florida. Thanks, Sally, for your service. You know, I really, I really like this part of the big book and all that I've heard this morning just reinforces um, what I really want to do when, when I'm trying to help someone else, not necessarily what I always do. And I think that, I, that I, you know, I clarify that for myself. You know, you know when, it, when it talks about here, your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the problem. You know, I, for me, I have to distinguish, is this a reason or is this an excuse? And, and, that, and, I, and I don't put that on them. I put that on me. Is it something that I relate to that I used as a reason or I used as an excuse? And then I bring it back to myself that I certainly may have felt that way if it was the truth that I felt or actually the lie that I told myself because I had done that many times. And, um, you know, so if, if I start there and I bring it back to me, that maybe I can share something for them that might put that light bulb on or turn that light bulb on. And, um, and I think that's all I'm asked to do, to plant the seed, you know. And, um, and I like what it talks about here. It says that, you know, um, you might make a friend, 
you know. And and I've that has happened to me. And certain people that came around and thought maybe they wanted what I had or thought maybe they had this same issue, you know, they'd come around for a while and, and they they're not staying. But you know, I keep connected, you know, because I'm not. And I loved what was shared, you know. I'm not here to to uh, be, to judge the person or fight the person, but fight the disease. And, um, you know, that's that's the good news today. So, you know, I can, you know, make a distinction between the two and, and really just continue to do the deal so that they see an example that maybe someday they want to follow. And if not, that's okay too because for myself, and I just have to say this, you know, Overeaters Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, does not have a monopoly on God. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. And um, so far... And then Hi, how are you? This is the part S. Thank God, recovered from Cleveland, Ohio. To me, I like the sentence to uh, tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. I think a lot of us like to focus on the second part of the sentence. We're like, you know, tell them, yeah, man, you got to take action, action, action. But we we do forget about the first part. Tell him you once felt as he does. In other words. It's so important to know where they're coming from and to validate them. Yes, we do give them the choice to make that decision, like do you want recovery or not, and these are my requirements as a sponsor. But we have to be loving and compassionate to where they're coming from because if we remember where all of, any of us started off, we were also full of fear. We were like paralyzed with fear. We were like a caged animal, you know, like backed up against the wall, like, oh, man, i got to survive. I can't handle these uncomfortable emotions, you know, and – for us, it was so hard for us to face the fact that we are a real addict. Like, we're so scared of facing how deep in this garbage and deep in this addiction we really are. And we're also scared of change because we're scared of putting the food down. It's like taking your oxygen mask off. Like, are you joking me? I can't ever have pizza ever again. You know, so it just takes a lot of courage making that free fall and trusting the process, which, again, we at the beginning – and same too with our sponsees. We didn't have that tool. They don't have the tool to do that yet. They don't have the tool to face their fears. They don't have a higher power yet or a connection to higher power so that they can feel safe in taking that free fall. So that's why they're looking for shortcuts, you know, and validating that we know their human nature. We understand it. We know where they're coming from. It's so important because if our message is only the second part, action, 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 then, again, addicts are very hypersensitive and they can get, you know, they feel like, you know, they're not understood and they feel pressured and they feel like, hey, man, why is the sponsor putting me against the wall, you know? And if we are, you know, pushing them without the validating, without the understanding, they might feel threatened and controlled, as you know, and um, that's what I wanted to share, just the, the first part, the validating part is also important. I pass. Thank you. And that's the R and then I'm going to jump in. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. So at this point, I'm probably dealing with someone who may not be at the level of hopelessness and desperation required to, you know, just be willing to do anything. And, you know, at this point, the the worst thing I can do is pontificate from a high and mighty mountain in a self-righteous way why they need to do what I'm telling them to do, um, that's just not going to go well. You know, addicts are allergic to being told what to do. 
uh, and it's only going to turn them off. So the truth is that most of us, I certainly have had my struggles. And this is a good point to bring up those struggles. I can tell them that just like them, I didn't come in looking for another full-time job. You know, I was busy enough, thank you very much. Um, I wasn't looking for uh, these kind of drastic measures because they are drastic. I came in looking for a magic pill that would enable me to eat all the cheesecake I wanted and still be thin. And, you know, I wasn't willing to put down my sugar and my flour. I certainly wasn't willing to write an inventory, let alone go and make amends to people that I hated. Um, so, and I tried that. I tried that for nine years. And I tell people, I did in the rooms. I tried doing this for nine years my way, and it didn't work. I lived for nine years in the room in low-grade misery until I just couldn't take it anymore. And that made me willing. Beyond that, beyond sharing my struggles, beyond sharing my experience and what brought about my change of heart and made me willing to do whatever I had to do to get rid of this monkey on my back, um, I can't do it. I can't do anymore. It is not my job to convince somebody that they are a compulsive overeater. It is not my job to convince somebody that they need to go through this drastic process. Uh, that is their job. Willingness is a one-man job. All I can do is share what I used to be like, what happened, and what I am like now, and let them um, reach their own conclusions, uh, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. And I'm Sally A., originally from, well, actually originally from New York. (laughs) Um, I'm back in New York. I moved here this weekend. And I'm happy to report that. So just to uh, keep you guys from being confused, I'm no longer Sally A. from South Jersey. I'm Sally A. from New York and happy to report that. Um, So here's what I would like to say about this. Uh, That last sentence, if he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. Now, anytime the big book repeats something as this particular sentence is repeated twice in a row in these next two pages, it's really important, or they wouldn't be repeating it. So here we see at the bottom of 94, if he shows you interest, lend him your copy of this book. And then on page 95 on the third paragraph, if he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. And then again on page 96, smack in the middle of the page, it says, suppose now you are making your second visit to a man. He has read this volume and says he is prepared to go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. So every morning we read in our preamble, we read, This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. And so this is what the big book's directions mean to me. When I got a sponsor, finally, who took me through the big book so I could get well and not just be in a a diet with group support, um, she said to me, 
read this book. She was referring to the first 164 pages, the instruction manual. She said, read this book, and when you finish, call me in two weeks, and we'll get started. That's what she said to me. And so this is what I do with people that I work with, and I do it religiously. I don't work with anyone who's not willing to read this book because that's what the instructions tell us. It's sort of like an ice bucket challenge. I remember when she said this to me, read this book, and I thought, why did she do that? Is this like um, a hazing, like a college hazing? But it wasn't a hazing. It was following the directions of this book. If he shows interest, lend him your your copy of this book. You know, just before this paragraph, it says to us, the more hopeless he feels, the better. And that's where we get this expression, the gift of desperation. And so if they're really ready, if they're sincere and they're ready, then give them a copy of this book and tell them to read this book. That's what they should do before they get started. And so that's the beauty of OA. This book is not about this, this program is not about a diet with group support. We are looking at what we were eating over. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to I now be aware and I want to eat with purpose. I want to eat to strengthen my body with food for the day and not eat for all different purposes for, for when I'm happy, when I'm sad, and all the other reasons that I was eating over. And it all begins with this book, if he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. And we've got time for two more shares. Are there two more people that would like to share? Do Al? Do Al? Yes, I am. Leslie. Leslie W. Leslie W. Let's go ahead and get started with those two. Renee, if we have time, we'll go right to you. Do Aline. Do Al and then Leslie. And Renee, if we have time, we'll get to you. And Helene. Helene, I don't think we have time, sweetie. Second meeting. Go ahead, Dew. Good morning. This is Dew, Al, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Um, this is fantastic. I mean, like it says, you know, if you have a, a candidate who gives you reasons not to follow the program, you don't have to convince them. The disease in itself will convince them. It says on page 48 that, you know, um, Alcohol is the greatest persuader. It will beat you into a state of reasonableness. And it's a tedious process. And we hope that, you know, no one else will be prejudiced as long as um, some of us were. And, you know, today I become that example to my sponsees, you know, when I'm taking them through the big book, um, you know, to show them exactly, relate to them where I had those mental inconsistencies. And it says, do not contradict them. You don't have to contradict a person, correct them, or whatnot, because the disease will do that for them. This disease is not nice. You know, when I sponsor someone, I tell them I'm, I'm a very straight-up person. I tell them the truth. You know, I'd rather tell you the truth than let you die in your disease. I'd rather um, be hardcore because this disease is hardcore. It says that this disease is cunning baffling and powerful. It wants to kill you dead. If you think otherwise, you think that this is about taking your time, this is about I'll love you until you can love yourself, you know, you're sadly mistaken because this disease wants to destroy you. It's destroying so many compulsive overeaters every day. It's bringing them to their death. 
This is a life and death errand. This is not about, you know, cozy things. But you know what? It's their responsibility to take responsibility for their recovery. My job is to carry the message. My job is to guide them and let them know, you know, what I've been through, what's been my experience in getting this. But, you know, don't mistake it. Don't mistake it. This disease wants you dead. And, and so we need to take action. And it says, you know, the, the sponsee that really wants this needs to take the action. The action starts by putting down the food and addressing the mental obsession. You know, and what is the mental obsession, the excuses, the justifications, the things that keep you from getting recovered? And I'll end up with this. In, um, in uh, more about alcoholism, it says, you know, there are two alternatives. I go through the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation, or I accept spiritual help. Those are my two alternatives. My, my third alternative is not that I'm going to find a magic pill. It's not that I'm going to find a, a different way out. But it's through this book, as Sally had mentioned, through this book that we get the solution because this contains the outline of the program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Stu. And Leslie, Leslie, you'll be our last share. Renee, I'll ask you to share during the second meeting. And Leslie. Hi, this is Leslie W. Can you hear me, Sally? I can. Okay. Thanks for letting me share. I'm Leslie W. calling from um, Tennessee, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I just wanted to focus in on uh, one sentence which says your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. Um, I'm just going to give a little bit of a different perspective this morning um, because I'm, I'm fairly new to Vision for You, but I've been in program for uh, almost seven years. And when I came into program, I had a newborn baby who was three months old and a demanding husband who was used to having a, piece, a, a pleaser for a wife and who would do anything, pretty much anything that she had to do to keep him happy. And my first sponsor, I remember coming into program and I asked her to be my sponsor, but she had no children and um, she could not relate to the difficulties that I was having and, um, you know, I'm not a victim, and I'm not going to not gonna like that either, but you can probably hear my father running around at the same time I'm talking. Um, but one thing is for sure, if I had my first sponsor, who ended up uh, being not the sponsor I needed, right, because it didn't Renee, work for me. Renee, is that noise coming from your line? No, it's probably my kid. No, it's not. I'm <laughs> Okay. I, I have I have a two-year-old, and he's running around while I'm talking. Okay, this morning, we're, we're so. having a hard time I'll try to get Renee. to a quieter. I'll try to get to a quieter place. We're, we're running um, out of time, Renee. We just got 30 seconds here. Okay, this so is Leslie W. Go ahead. But I, I'll finish up. You know, the, what I'm trying to say is that I needed a sponsor who understood my circumstances because sometimes there are legitimate reasons why you can't do everything that a sponsor wants you to do. So, you know, I was willing to put down the food, but if I had a sponsor who told me you had to make three calls a day and go to five meetings a week, and I just couldn't do that. So thank God that I did find a sponsor who was willing to work with me at my level. And, uh, and, and, and because she did that, I now have um, recovery, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. 
I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee, and thank you to all. Thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. I would like to invite you to please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. Um, Renee and Helene, both of you, I hope that you'll stick around and be the first sharers of that meeting. And um, I want to say thank you for allowing me to be your, your Thursday morning moderator for these last weeks. Um, Sally A. from New York now. And um, I will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I'm going to ask Rebecca F. to lead us in a vision for you, beginning with our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the records of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will share some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you from hope.